0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid and Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co hosts, Rev Ciencio from Schweid and Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com.
1: Hey, Reverend David Ciencio. Hello, Brad Garun. How are you? Good. I am doing this podcast just after getting out of the car after a long long ride down from a region that Michiganders call up north michigan oh yeah what does that have to do with today's show i had a burger while i was up there
0: <laughs> don't we normally talk about the show first isn't that the well, whole you movie? asked the question
1: and yes but you, wouldn't, you. but you went but you went you asked me how i was doing and i told you stop messing with the format of the show rev cuz today we're talking to keizo shimamoto about pop up restaurants you have a lot to do with Keizo's history. Why don't you talk about it?
0: Uh, excited to bring Keizo Shimamoto on the show today. If uh, you haven't heard of him, he's the founder of Ramen Burger. That's probably how most people know him. Uh, although he has done so much more, he's kind of the king of pop-up restaurants and uh, has had like a number of documentaries made about him. And uh, really has some insights to offer on uh, on uh, pop-up restaurant marketing. I thought it'd be interesting to bring him on the show today and talk about uh, talk about that.
1: Such fun, Rev. Have you had any good burgers lately?
0: You know, I was in the Albany area this past weekend, and I had a burger that was pretty darn good.
1: What was it? Where was it from? Tell me all the things.
0: Uh, It's a two-location joint uh, centered out of Albany, New York, called Juicy Burgers. And, you know, there's nothing nothing about the concept that makes it, like, so weird or crazy. Like, it's just a really good, better burger type of of joint. You walk in, you know, they have cheeseburgers and regular, and then they have, like, a build-your-own menu. But... Man, it was good. It was like restaurant, you know, like a uh, high-end chef restaurant style burger done as like a fast casual concept like a Five Guys or a smash burger. And the burger was good. The cheese was good. The bun was good. Everything about it was good. It was one of those things that I was like, man, if I lived near here, I would probably eat this a whole heck of a lot more.
1: It's interesting how geography plays into things. Over the weekend, I was in um, I was in a different upstate. I was in upstate Michigan, and um, I have a guy, my 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 college buddy Jake. He writes reviews about burgers up there for Burger Weekly, and he took me to one of his favorite spots for a burger. It's called Tap Thirty in Petoskey, Michigan. Okay. Really cool spot, 30 beers on tap, great beers on tap. Uh, I ordered the burger, and I, I do think it's interesting to go to a smaller town or a smaller area like upstate, like up north Michigan, as we Michiganders call it. You've got cities like Charlevoix, Petoskey, Boyne, Trevor City, where which are all real tourist-heavy resort towns, but they're not really known as food towns. Trying a burger there, like the best burger there, and comparing it to the best burger in New York City, not really fair. The burger Tap 30, pretty good. Tater tots, some of the best I've ever had dip them in this avocado aioli that they put on their salad. I just swooped it in with the tater tots. Fantastic. If you're ever up in up North Michigan, check it out. Tap 30. I do
0: think it's important for such a burgerati members like ourselves to get out of town once in a while. (laughs) Be reminded that we live in this cultural burger haven known as New York City. Anyway, Leo, great, great conversation today with Kaze from ramen burger. Let's segue over to that.
1: Brad, have you had a ramen burger? I was actually there the day that the ramen burger came out the first day at, at Smorgasburg. I was 41st in line uh, because the hype for that thing was so strong.
0: Well, you know, I, I was not there the first day. I was there several of the days after that. But it debuted uh, two years ago, three years ago this this month. If you don't know what this thing is and you're a listener of the show, it was introduced by Keizo Shimomoto at a pop-up um, in, a, in an outdoor market called Smorgasburg here in New York City. And it's essentially a hamburger inside of... Fresh Ramen Buns, and uh, we'll get into what that means later. But you know, within a day of announcing it, this thing was all over the media. It was all over the food thing. It was a super big hype, and Keizo has gone on to launch a number of, of pop-up food concepts, uh, I- including the Ramen Burger and Ramen Shack. And so we're going to welcome him to the show today to, to talk about those things, how they happened, and also give some insight on the pop-up restaurants and pop-up restaurant marketing. And Keizo, what is the one thing you wish you had known or been prepared for before launching your first pop-up seasonal business? Man, that's a good question.
2: (laughs) Uh, I I don't know if I could have been prepared for what happened, but looking back on it three years later, I guess being able to really keep up to speed with the demand, like, yeah, I I didn't know the demand would be so crazy, but, you know, if I had prepared more uh,
1: in advance, then maybe I could have actually made money that first day. (laughs) So, Kezo, most folks, I think, who started hearing about you in the last couple years did so, as Rev mentioned, because of Ramen Burger, but you had a a pretty big history in the ramen universe beforehand. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, basically I started a ramen blog called
2: Go Ramen back in 2007, and while living in LA, I just traveled all around Southern California, Northern California, uh, Las Vegas, and just ate as much ramen as I could in a really short period of time. And I kind of made a name for myself in that ramen blogging world and that's when I took a trip to Japan, traveled all over from the north, northern island of Hokkaido to the southern island of Kyushu and I ate 28, or 55 bowls in 28 days and that's when I realized that ramen is my passion, ramen is my future so I ended up quitting my job as a computer programmer and I moved to Tokyo to actually study
0: in several ramen several different ramen shops for four years before moving to New York. So Brad, what what Keizo is saying here as you write burgerweekly.com is that you're destined to become a very well known internet burger chef. I don't think I'm gonna take a trip to Germany
1: to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to get that kick started.
0: Keizo, when you were when you were studying in Japan and, and writing the blog, you know, what was the machination? Like what were you aiming towards? What did you want to get out of that? I didn't really have a goal in mind I just knew
2: that somehow I'd be involved with ramen for the rest of my life, whether it be opening up just a shop or, um, you know, helping others open up shops. I just had this weird passion from when I was a kid that ramen was just a part of me,
0: and I felt destined to, you know, do what I do now. And how helpful do you think GoRamen.com, you know, the blog was in, in launching really any of your businesses? I think it was very helpful because, for one, I was dedicated to writing that
2: blog every single day, and that helped gain a following. Like, people that I didn't know would start to read what I was writing, and it was like a window into the ramen world in the United States and in Tokyo, just people that never would have thought
1: ra- what ramen really was, like, they were able to see that through my blog. So you're kind, of, you're kind of on the forefront, I think, especially in New York City, but beyond of this ramen revolution. How did ramen go from being perceived as, you know, a cheap eat for college students to now a real destination food? I think
2: it's just like the fascination with traditional foods from any country, um, much like sushi was a long time ago when it boomed in the United States. Ramen was never really, like, I mean, instant ramen was a sensation in Japan, but originally there was the more traditional so-called real type of ramen that you eat at a sit-down restaurant. And that being said, like, even though instant ramen became popular in the States, I think once people started knowing that traditional ramen existed, and then it just wasn't an MSG-filled package that you can make in three minutes. You know, it, there was another fascination to it. And that's how, I mean, it's not only me being on the forefront, but I think a lot of uh, like traditional ramen shops that have been successful in Japan have started to come over to the States. That's why you see a sort of boom happening within New York and L.A. in the
0: major cities. Can you explain to those who don't know what a ramen burger is, like how is the build, you know, what what makes it different from other burgers? So the ramen burger
2: is a bun made out of ramen noodles, so instead of your traditional bread bun, it's just ramen noodles packed together tightly and inside of it is what every burger should have, is a and Sons beef patty and I combine that with arugula, scallions, and a secret shoyu glaze, which sort of makes the burger what it is. Um, You have the ramen noodle buns are the intriguing factor of it, but what really rounds it out and makes it delicious, I think, is the, the secret sauce, which I've sort of based upon my ramen experience and my favorite ramen being a soy sauce ramen, shoyu ramen. That's how this sauce came to really. Be compatible with the Rottenburger.
1: I know at, at Smorgasburg the the lines there are still nuts, and it's three years later. Very impressed at the fact that there are still crazy lines, especially given you know there've been a lot of imitators who have come and gone. So what do you attribute the like sus- sustained success for that stand at Smorgasburg?
2: I uh, I think it's just you know the the quality of the product mainly. It's that's my only explanation. When I decided to create it, I just didn't decide to create it to get hype, and, you know, I I wanted it to be delicious, and when I first had my first ramen burger within my living room, I was jumping off the walls because I, I thought it tasted really good, and not so much because it, it was a ramen bun, but just overall it tasted good, so I think, you know, there, there's there been all the imitators and uh, people that have haven't tried it who have knocked it, but I think once people try it, you know, they, they really seem to like it. So that's what's kept up
0: the 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 lines at Smorgasburg. Would you uh Would you say that lines are part of your marketing now?
2: I, I don't know if it's part of the marketing. It's just
0: se- it seemed to just naturally happen. <laughs> Well, listen, people need to try this burger. I think that if you're a hamburger lover, it's kind of a great way to segue you into what ramen could be in your life if you've never had it. And I think if you're a ramen lover who isn't really familiar with burgers, don't ask me how that happens, uh, <laughs> but it could be your segue back the other way. Is that is that how it lives in your mind? Yeah, definitely.
2: And it's, it's basically a part of me because it's Japanese and American all
0: bunched into one. <laughs> so I, I feel... Like it's it's part of my culture. Tell us about Go Ramen Go Life uh, and and how it works. So
2: I created Go Ramen Go Life about a year and a half ago, and I'm using it as sort of like the parent company of what I've already established with the Ramen Burger, so I can create a wholesale business selling ramen soups and flavorings and oils and different products to other people who are interested in opening up a ramen shop or basically doing ramen at their existing restaurant. Uh, so that's that's the wholesale business and it's also the foundation for Ramen Burger and my other concept, Ramen Shack and my NYC. So basically it's, I've said this already, but it's the foundation where I can have a central kitchen, produce all these different products and supply not only my own company
1: but other companies as well. So I actually do want to go back to uh, the ramen burger just for a second. Um, we we touched on those imitators. I know that w- when when folks create new food concepts or food mashups that are as, su- as successful as yours, um, as we mentioned, there's a lot of imitators. And I've and I've actually spoken to a couple other restaurateurs who who've dealt with this real, I, I guess even like trademark infringement that comes along with with uh, other people using the thing that you conceived of to piggyback that success H- how have you dealt with with all the imitators that are not necessarily the ones who have like branched off into like spaghetti burgers whatever but the ones who are getting very close to what you put out as ramen burger
2: you know it's when when they first started imitating of course it's flattering and it's 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 hard to tell what to think of it at first um, but, you know, I had all these advisors tell me, oh, you need the trademark, you need to send cease and desist and stop it. Um, for me, I, from a chef perspective, you know, I was proud of what I created and I knew that if there were going to be imitators, it, it is flattering, but at the same time, they they don't have the exact recipe that I have, so they're not copying it exactly. and. We all know it's hard to trademark and copyright food recipes and all that. So for, for now, it's like I'm just flattered by them. I, I don't need to go after them. Like They can try to create ramen burgers on their own, and hopefully they can create better ones because that's
0: why we're here, right, to, to eat better burgers and get more creative every day. Well, I think you have a great outlook on it. And, you know, look, I think it's hard to to copyright a recipe as you sort of launched into in there. But would you have any advice for somebody else who, who would be in a similar situation? Might be, maybe they're launching a new food concept or a new food business.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the advice I'd like to give, instead of launching without trademarks and plans to put in place, like, unfortunately well, fortunately and unfortunately for me, I didn't have time to really get the trademark before it went viral so it was basically something that I announced on my blog three days before we debuted it and in those three days I went to talk to like three different copyright lawyers and they basically told me three different things and it was very hard like even though we got in the trademark first it was just hard difficult to get it because of I don't know if the viralness helped us or hurt us because it just made it the ramen burger be even more generic as a term so I think just advice make sure you know you you if you if you want to protect certain things make sure you speak with a the right people and really apply for the trademarks beforehand
1: so you don't have a problem once you debut so ramen burger as a pop-up concept was very successful and I know you've had uh, brick and mortar stand standalone concepts as well. What's the benefit to starting out a food concept or a restaurant concept as a pop-up? I think the benefit the the benefit is there's not much
2: capital you need to raise. Like, you know, you you might invest in some equipment here and there and food costs, but it's relatively easy rather than spending like a lot of money on renovating a new restaurant and, and all that stuff. So. It, it gives you an idea of who who the market is and who who's going to like the food, who's going to eat the food. Is it going to be successful? If it's successful at the market, can it translate to the brick and mortar? I think you get a lot of information from doing it at these events. What's been the key to longevity in your pop-up concepts? I think just being consistent, quality, whenever someone comes back to eat a burger, I want them to taste the same burger they had before. Uh, If they come for the first time, I want them to taste, like, make it taste better than their expectations. So, and plus, you know, keeping up with social media, the Instagram, Facebook, um, keeping people interested, and whoever, because you might not believe it, but even three years later, people are like, what's a ramen burger? Whoa, how come I haven't seen this before? So there's, there's still a lot of people out there who don't even haven't even heard of it. So I, I think, you know, just keeping up with the quality and consistency is what keeps you
0: going, I guess. So what, What you kind of touched into it there, but what role does social media play in the marketing really of any of your businesses? Is, is it lean more towards one? Is it all? Do they have their own uh, their own handles? Like how do you make that work? Obviously,
2: yeah, Burger is very dependent on social media and it, it's almost basically running itself. (laughs) Like, like, I don't have to do much with Ramen Burger. Like, I don't need a PR firm to handle all that. Maybe maybe I will, like, down the road, but right now, it's like, if I post something, you know, there's already so many, like, thousands of, tens of thousands of followers on social media, so it just gets everywhere quickly. Um, About the other brands, like Ramen Shack, it's, it's more of the the different side of actually not having something go viral so quickly but trying to build up until you go viral so it, it's kinda interesting because I am I, seeing both sides now where ramen burger was such a huge hit but then ramen shack I'm sort of building from scratch and trying to get that up
1: to par with ramen burger which which is the challenge now do you look at virality in social media as, sort of, as an indicator for when your concepts are ready to move from a more pop-up situation to a more standalone brick brick-and-mortar situation?
2: Not necessarily. Uh, with Ramen Shack, I have a lot of confidence. Ramen Burger as well, but since I'm more of a ramen chef and I studied ramen, I, I get to... Ramen Shack allows me to really put all my creativity into the product. And with that, like I'm so confident with the product that I feel even though it's not going to go viral right now, I think eventually it will because there's so much of that foundation of my passion.
0: What was the most instrumental part in you being able to launch these concepts in, in cities as far as L.A. and, and Tokyo and whatnot? I mean, is, is, do you think anybody could do that, or did something special happen that allowed you to do it? I think it's
2: definitely something special with the ramen burger itself because it is such a unique thing, and since I'm known as being the creator, it's, there's that originality factor that people in different cities Become interested in, so I think even though it just debuted in New York, there's a lot more cities that you know we could probably go to in the future and still have success, so is what I'm hoping.
1: What about things like um, you've had documentaries um, about you? You mentioned that we mentioned that in the intro, and I know that you had uh, one of your documentaries featured at the Food and Film Fest. Have those have those um, those features helped you to uh, expand your your customer base, or or do you think that those are things that more appeal just to folks in the industry? I think it it's a little of both. Um, of course, yeah, the ones the films
2: that have gone public, you know, I get a lot of emails saying, you know, I, I loved you, I've loved watching that, and you're such an inspiration. Um, but also, like doing these films is where I get to meet people like. Like Rev, you know, just at the Food Film Fest, and those connections are how you get to expand your business even more. Just because you learn more about the industry, and it's it's all just like a like a circle of, I don't know, virality. <laughs>
0: I think it's almost a lesson in you know unique partnerships. I mean, look, you have a unique business model, you have a unique food item. Well, that's the centerpiece of it, at least. And and you know the partnership with the Food Film Fest is, is a unique partnership. I mean, do you think that that's something that people have kind of forgotten about? Like, try different stuff. Try to not be traditional. Try to think outside the box.
2: Possibly, yeah. I mean, I I just do it because this is who I am. You know, I grew up in two different cultures, so I've I've got this unique ability to just mash them together sometimes. Um, but, yeah, definitely the connections and all these different events, uh, people should do them because not only is it good for your brand, but it's also good for your network, and that network could always lead to different opportunities. And without Food Film Festival, who knows? It,
1: I might Romberger might not be this big. Is there any advice that you'd give to someone who's trying to decide, you know, um, I've got this concept, uh, actually I'll just, I'll, I'll put this into very concrete uh, examples. I've got a friend and she has a dessert business that she started out, right now it's mostly like uh, e-commerce, but I know that she'd really like to get it going, uh, get some customers to come in and uh, purchase in person. Do you think it um, it's worthwhile for someone who doesn't have a lot of uh, capital maybe to start out um, pitching these food markets and, and food shows, uh, to do that first before trying to get investors or, or capital raised for a standalone place?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think it would hurt at all to go to like a flea market or a food market uh, just because it, it is a way to connect with the customer and to show off your brand and w- without much capital at all.
0: Look, I think that, you know, you have a really interesting story here. You've done a lot of unique stuff. I don't think there's any way that anybody could sort of follow your path and and led down this, and I don't know that you either could have called this path. You know, was there any one thing or one item that, you know, if you could call Keizo five, ten, even two years ago and say, look, just do this, don't think about anything else, like what would that piece of advice be like?
2: Well, I'm generally a patient person, and I like to think things out. Um, But definitely I would tell myself from two, two, three years ago to be a little bit more patient. A lot of the pressure of you know, this ramen burger fame ha- led me to make some bad decisions. Um, those bad decisions have been great learning experiences, um, but also, you know, I, I would say not to sort of rush into things and basically make sure that you, you, you are on the right track. Otherwise, you know, you'll get taken advantage of and start losing what is most important to you.
1: I think that's great advice. Real easy to get taken advantage when you're looking um, at the next immediate thing. Uh, Keizo, since we're all three big burger guys here, it's going to be real easy to segue into our mandatory questions <laughs> that we do at the end of every episode. Uh, first one being, what was your favorite burger from childhood? So growing up in L.A., you know, of course, In-N-Out Burger was
2: great. Um, But also, I I have, you know, a little Hawaiian connection. My grandpa was born in Hawaii. So there was a hamburger shop in Huntington Beach, California, where I was born and grew up, called Fuji's. And they made a really simple, great teriyaki burger that I would always go to after school.
0: Is that place still open?
2: It might be. I haven't. I haven't checked it out, but it could be still open. It may be under different ownership, but who knows?
0: <laughs> this sounds like a mission that we may have to take on. <laughs> or just go to Google. Uh, Keza, what was the uh, what was the last great burger you ate? The
2: last great burger is 282 Burger.
0: It's one of my favorite burgers, and I live nearby, so it's my favorite burger joint. Oh man, that is a good burger. Did you get the green chilies? Yeah, always. <laughs> so good. So good. Brad, you've had that, haven't you? I go for the breakfast
1: burger when I go there.
0: Yeah, but so, so do I. But have you ever had the green chilies when they I go for
1: the breakfast burger when I go there. <laughs> I like it there. It's good. 2-8-2 is probably the best one in, uh, in that neighborhood. Yeah. Okay, so if you could give one piece of advice to someone in the food marketing business, what would it be? Be yourself, because if you're yourself, your passion will relate to the marketing naturally. Awesome. Why don't you just let everybody know where they can uh, find out more about you, about Ramen Burger, about Go Ramen, Go Life, everything.
2: So you can check out ramenburger.com, and it'll tell you where we serve the Ramen Burger all throughout the city in Los Angeles, and also or New York City and Los Angeles. And you can go to goramengolife.com. That will connect you to Ramen Shack and Ramen Burger. And beginning next month, September, 28-ish, I will be opening up a permanent pop-up to Ramen Shack in Long Island City, where we will also serve the ramen burger.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player
1: so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.